hello and welcome to worship this morning. If you're joining us uh, down here upstairs in the Wall Cafe, um, it is so good to be here with you all this weekend. Um, If this is your first time here, your hundredth time here, we are so thankful that you braved um, the cold and the crazy weather and you made it here to worship this morning. Uh, There are first things, there are first couple things that I want to start you off with. Uh, One is that I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Um, I hope you found some peace uh, and rest and joy with your family. And if you were able to join us this past week to celebrate Christmas with us, you know that we had um, probably more Christmas services, well, almost more Christmas services than I have fingers. We had so uh, many. It was awesome. We had Christmas Eve. We had Christmas Eve Eve. Uh, And all of our offerings collected at these services went straight to Zoe Ministry. If you don't uh, know what Zoe Ministry is yet, um, I personally believe um, it can be defined as the heart of our church. Uh, Zoe is an orphan empowerment program uh, that we are currently partnered with in Rwanda, Africa, um, as well as Guatemala and India, which are our most recent partnerships. Uh, The offering um, that you have given as a church over the past several years, um, every Christmas, You have given over a million dollars. I know that this past Christmas was a couple thousand. So we can, can we just take a moment and celebrate that? That is amazing, amazing. That is Christmas, folks. And that is why I love this church, because of the hearts of overwhelming generosity in this place. Um, Now, too, there's a question that some of you uh, might be asking Who is she? Who is this girl up on stage giving this message right now? It's okay. It's a safe place to ask these questions. My name is Lauren Ropkin. Um, I've been on staff here now for a little bit over four years, and I have a couple titles in this church. Um, One of those being a student ministries program coordinator, so I oversee uh, high school and middle school worship every Wednesday night. Um, And another one is a candidate for pastoral ministry. And if that is gibberish to you, that is okay. Uh, Basically, it means that a couple years ago, I felt a calling placed on my life to pastoral ministry, and you as a church have voted to support me throughout this process. Um, I believe that this process for me has been evolving since the day I was born, uh, but it really kicked off about two years ago when I officially became a candidate. Um, I will begin seminary next August, but as of right now, I am in my last year at UTA studying kinesiology. And now, before I really um, get into this message, I want to take a moment to just pause and look at what is happening in front of me and imagine what is happening upstairs in the Well Cafe. Uh, Today, you guys showing up to church, I don't know if you knew this, uh, but you are making history today. You and me together in this place are making history. Um, This is my first weekend to ever preach at an adult worship service. (laughs) This is my third. (laughs) Thank you. This is my uh, third service to preach this weekend, so you guys are not my first, but you are my first time to preach in two places at once. So congratulations. This is a big moment. Um, If I were to do the generational thing right now, I would pull out my phone and we'd all snap one giant congregational selfie, but um, I want to come back and speak to you again, so I left my phone in the other building, uh, but we will save that uh, for after worship. Um, Our scripture today can be found in the book of Esther on page 771. Um, If you're down here in the blue books under the seat in front of you, if you're upstairs in the Well Cafe, uh, there's a cart in the back of the room where you can find those Bibles. As you're finding that, um, I want to share a story with you. I was 19 years old when I took my first trip to Rwanda, Africa. I remember that summer I was working at a camp in North Carolina, um, and I came home with 24 hours to pack and head to the airport for Africa. 
I went on the trip um, with our church here and a couple people you may know, like Pastor Mike and Pastor Tina. And I remember we planned for this trip months and months in advance. We had meetings, we had paperwork, we had shots, we had more paperwork, we had more shots. Um, I had this medicine uh, that you had to put in the fridge because it was alive and you couldn't take it with milk or weird things would happen to you. It was nuts. It was crazy. I remember when I told my parents that I wanted to go to Rwanda, they weren't really surprised. I've always been a little bit of a firecracker who can't be stopped. My parents were in full fear, uh, but full support um, of this journey. They attended all of the prep meetings with me. We collected all of the paperwork and we filed it away perfectly until the day of the trip. Now, for some reason, my parents thought that a 19-year-old was responsible enough to read a 60-page paper about what life is like before you go to Africa. Uh, but for some reason, me being a 19-year-old assumed that that was still my parents' job and they would just give me the cliff note version of it. Uh, but long story short, no one read the 60-page packet before me going to Africa. Uh, so here I am in D.C. standing in line about to board the plane with Pastor Mike and Pastor Tina and about 15 other of your brothers and sisters here. And I hear someone say, you cannot wear shorts in Rwanda. And I immediately just begin to chuckle because I have 12 shorts for our 10-day trip, and it's great because you can. Um, and Pastor Mike looks at me in his deep voice, and he says, no, Lauren, really, you cannot wear shorts in Rwanda. And he says this to me as I am wearing the only pair of black skinny jeans that I brought for the entire trip. So clearly you can tell it's off to a great start already. Uh, this is when I began the plan of how to wear the same pair of pants for 10 days when all I had to wash them with was grapefruit-scented face wipes. And I tell you what, till this day, I still cannot stand the smell of grapefruit. We arrived in Rwanda uh, that evening, and our hotel was much more normal than I expected it to be. The journey there, though, hit me like a train in the face. The second that we got on the bus from the airport, we could not make it a block without seeing men with guns larger than my body. Each street corner had a man in military attire with multiple guns strapped to his person. And I realized that this was Rwanda, that this was life there, and this was normal for them. Uh, but for me, this was major culture shock. That night, um, upon arriving at the somewhat normal hotel, I wanted to shower because it felt like we had been traveling for years. So I went to turn on the hot water and nothing. Then I went to turn on the cold water, and still nothing. So I go to the front desk, and I tell them of my problem, and me being uh, the typical American that I am, I expect them to show up to my room with a tool belt, and after a five-minute fix, um, it would be perfect. Uh, so I hear a knock on my door, and I answer it, um, and they show up, but there's no tool belt. There is um, a bucket of lukewarm water, and this bucket became my only source of cleanliness for the next couple of days. Um, that was it. I was scared. I was dirty. Uh, there were men with guns outside my window, and I was showering in a bucket. I called my dad, and I was done. I was ready to come home. I was hysterical, and not the funny kind of hysterical, um, the type of hysterical where there's tears flowing from your eyes, other stuff flowing from your nose. Um, I was done. I was ready to come home. Now, if any of you have the privilege of knowing my father, uh, you know one thing is that he loves me a lot. Uh, one time I fell out of bed when I was little, and he took me to the emergency room just to make sure I wasn't broken. Uh, so imagine that, and now imagine a 19-year-old girl calling her father from Africa, saying that there are men with guns, she's showering in a bucket, and only has one pair of pants for 10 days. A flight home quickly became an option. 
And now, before I can finish this story for you, before I can give you my mad ending of it, um, I need to tell you a little bit about Esther. For a quick summary, we're going to begin with King Xerxes. Uh, king Xerxes was a very powerful king over 127 provinces, ranging from India to Ethiopia. So basically, a lot of land, a really powerful king. Now, one time, this king threw a banquet for all of his palace servants and officials from the greatest to the least. This banquet lasted seven days, and on the seventh day of his elaborate party, he was drunk. The king was married uh, to a beautiful woman named Queen Vashti, and on the seventh day, he summoned her, um, and he wanted all of the men at his party to gaze in awe of her beauty. Now, when she heard of this order, she immediately refused out of respect for herself. And at this time, actually, it was against custom for Persian women uh, to appear in public. Uh, so he put a great hardship on her when not asking but demanding that she do this. Now, word came back to the king that she had refused, and he was enraged with anger. He immediately met with his highest officials to make a plan of what you do when someone declines the order of a king. And the men all agreed that this was not only a disgrace to the king, but to the entire empire, because women from all over would learn that they could say no to their husbands. So to keep this from happening, to keep an outbreak of madness, uh, the king wrote a law banishing Queen Vashti from ever entering his presence again, and just like that, she was gone. Now this led to the king in need of a new queen. Here enters Esther. The king basically had a beauty pageant and lined up women to find a new wife, and Esther was ordered to take part in this pageant. Esther was Jewish, which becomes relevant later, um, but she was raised by her uncle Mordecai, who was also Jewish. The king loved Esther more than any other woman and chose her to be his queen without knowing her religious background. She kept that a secret so that she could take place in this position. And now sometime later after this, a man named Haman was promoted to the prime minister, making him the most powerful official next to the king himself. Being this powerful, it was expected that when you come into his presence, you would bow. And Mordecai, Esther's uncle, his loyalty belonged to the Lord, and he refused to bow. And when Haman became aware of the disrespect shown by Mordecai, he decided to create a law saying that on March 7th, it was legal to destroy all of the Jews. Now the king, totally unaware of his wife's um, Jewish background, uh, thought that this was fine and signed right along with the law approving it. When Mordecai heard of this, he immediately ran to Esther. He cried and he said, if you keep quiet at a time like this, Deliverance for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Mordecai believed that Esther had the power to change the outcome of this law, that she could create change in this world. One of the most impactful verses for myself in the scripture is Esther 4.14, which says, And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this, other translations say that perhaps this was the moment for which you have been created. Perhaps right here, right now, this very moment, what if this is your purpose? What if this is what you were created for? To make this long story short, Esther went to the king and pleaded her case. The king realized the power that he had given Haman and immediately revoked the law, and Esther and her family lived. So after hearing uh, the story of Esther, I want to ask you, what is it that God is calling you to say yes to? 
Esther's yes was huge. She was given this lavish life, a life in a palace, a life much different than the life that she had lived before becoming queen. And there was a chance that if she spoke up about Haman's scheme, that she would lose her lavish life and be exiled just like Queen Vashti. There was a chance that she would speak up and her family would be murdered or exiled still. Or there was a chance that she could speak up and save the lives of thousands of Jews. Esther was a dangerous, world-shaking woman. And so I want to ask you again, what is it that God is calling you to say yes to? What is it that we just need to take one more step to say yes to that calling that God has placed upon our life? Esther's was to risk it all for what was right, to speak out and to save her family. My yes was Africa. After a $1,300 phone bill with my father, I decided to go to bed in Rwanda, Africa. I put on the same pair of pants that I had worn the day before. I threw on a headband to cover my not-so-clean bucket-washed hair, and I stepped out to where I felt God was calling me. It was that day in June 2012 that a piece of my heart was permanently taken over by Rwanda. I boarded the bus that traveled the scariest roads that shouldn't even be called side roads called roads, more like sidewalks up a mountain. And me and about 15 of your other brothers and sisters here at First Mansfield said yes to God. I remember we showed up to the village and we saw faces like the ones that you're about to see on the screen. And we knew that there was no other answer than yes. This is where I experienced my first true calling into ministry. Now, we may not all be called to Africa or to pastoral ministry or to save an entire human race like Esther did, But we are all called to say yes. For some of you in this room, you might know exactly what that yes is, and you might be in the middle of it right now. I pray that God strengthens you and guides you on that path. For others of you, we may still be searching for that yes, and that is okay. Maybe our yes is to keep searching, to keep pushing ourselves into different situations and not get comfortable with the normal. Speaking of different situations, a quick story. Uh, One time I gave a message similar to this to our students about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Sometimes we do a real disservice to teenagers. We think that the most uncomfortable thing they can do is put their cell phone away at dinner or give you an honest answer when you ask them what they learned in school today. But sometimes when we challenge them to get uncomfortable, and most of the time they will blow our expectations out of the water. December 16th, 2015, your student ministries department participated in their first ever secret angel mission around Mansfield. The students were challenged to go out and be the gift to the community. So they went around and they paid for people's orders in drive-thrus and they taped quarters to vending machines as a a surprise for people. Uh, They returned shopping carts from outside to inside Walmart because we all know that that is just not a fun job. There was one group of ninth grade girls who went to the hospital And they took coloring books and crayons into the waiting room for little kids to play with while they waited. They saw a woman there sitting in a wheelchair whose health did not look well. They saw her and they left. There was a stirring in their hearts, so they asked the leader of their group to pray with them for her. These girls sat in the car and they prayed for a complete stranger. And now I could stop there. That would be enough to tell you how amazing our students here are that they are doing amazing work in this community. But that would not uh, do them justice because that is not the end of the story. Sitting in that car was not what the woman in the wheelchair needed, and these girls knew that. They asked their leader for the God is big enough wristband that they were wearing, and they went back into the waiting room, and then this happened. 
a group of ninth grade girls took a God is big enough wristband to a complete stranger, laid hands on her, and prayed for her. Your students here are saying yes to God in big and mighty ways, and that is something to celebrate. Maybe these students are your yes. Maybe joining a small group is your yes, or starting a small group. For some of you in this room, it's adoption and foster care. For others of you in this room, maybe it's pastoral ministry, and I invite you on up here with me. Come give a message. Whatever it is, if we keep coming here, if we keep allowing God to work in us and through us, our yeses will become apparent. Each and every one of us in this room is called to say yes to God in some form or fashion. We may all be called to very different things, but we are all called to say yes. To say yes to overwhelming this world with Christ's love. To say yes to giving more than we receive. To say yes to doing something kind of scary and nerve-wracking, like preaching to adults for the first time. We just celebrated the biggest yes ever. Christmas is a yes. Jesus coming to this earth and saying yes to God. Saying that Jesus would live on this earth to save us. That is not only Jesus saying yes to God, but God saying yes to each and every one of us. This past weekend at a Christmas Eve uh, service that I just happened to be passing by, I heard Pastor Johnny saying a prayer, and he said, miracles happen when people say yes to the calling of God. Miracles, people, miracles happen. That was a miracle that that woman never expected from those girls. Miracles happen when people say yes to the calling of God. So then the question that we have to ask ourselves, the question that Esther had to ask herself, the question becomes how do we respond to this calling that God has placed on our lives? How do we say yes to God? Let us pray. God, I thank you for this day and for the ability to come here and sing praises to your glorious name where we can come into this space and we can celebrate the birth of your son. The biggest yes of all, where you sent your son to this world to save us, God. We thank you for that. And now we come here with open hearts and open minds, and we are asking you to work in us and through us, God. That you make our yeses apparent and that you equip us so when we go out into this world, when we leave this building, we are your vessels in this world, God that we go out and we overwhelm this world with your love and your grace. And that when we say yes to you, we glorify you, God. We thank you for this day and for this time. And in your great and loving name we pray, amen.